Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. Jesus didn't come to God and say, here's my list. What do you think, God? Jesus said, Father, what do you want me to do? And God gave him, I believe, the men that he should pick and that he should choose. If you're in a decision mode today, in a major decision, you know, it's not like what to have for lunch today, so you're going to fast for lunch. I mean, not talking about that. But marriage, buying a home, a car, children, adoption, all these things, major decisions, change of job, you need to be seeking God's will. For years now, people have been asking the question, what would Jesus do? It's almost become cliche, just something you say. But do we actually consider that when we're about to make a decision? Well, in today's message, we will. You see, Jesus not only came to this earth to take our place, to make a way for us to be saved, he also came to set an example for us. He wanted to show us what it looks like to live according to his Father's word. And we're to do as he did. Sure, we won't do it perfectly, but don't you want to? Does your heart desire to do what Jesus did? Do you want to walk in a way that's pleasing to him? As a Christian, you should. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. I'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verse 7, with part one of our message entitled, WWJD. Now this morning we're going to see that Jesus Christ is faced with a great problem as we study the book of Mark, and then he's going to give us the solution to that problem. So let's look at verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. You remember last week we left Jesus in the synagogue. He had just healed a man with a lame hand on the Sabbath. The Pharisees, the religious Jews, hated that. They thought he had broken the Sabbath. They were so angry that they determined, you remember the verse told us last week, they were going to find a way to kill Jesus. Jesus, understanding that, perceiving that in his spirit, begins to move his ministry out of the synagogue. He has, he knows, a great ministry left, three years of trying to change the people's hearts that he can change, but more importantly, to take his life and put it into some other people's lives, some disciples, so that after he dies on the cross for man's sins, that there would be a way to transfer who he was to these people. So we see him going to the Sea of Galilee. And when they heard all he was doing, the people, many people came to him from Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, in the regions around the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him, to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to just touch him. And whenever the evil spirits saw him, demons, they fell down before him and cried out, You 
or the Son of God. But he gave them, the demons, strict orders not to tell who he was. Now, if you look back in verse 7, you see the word large crowd. That word actually means crush. So the crowds were massive. Now, the crowd started from Galilee, the surrounding area where he was. But because the crowds continued to get large, we wonder what was happening. Here's what happened. When the word got out that there was a solution to man's problem, crowds came from everywhere. Why? The Jews were left with a religion that was really a dead religion. It depended on man trying to be right with God. It depended on man finding hope and joy in his life from doing good things. Now you and I know how that feels because it's very frustrating. How many have ever said in your life, I'll never do that again? How many blew it? Keep your hand right up as you've, that's right. And then you go and say, I'll never, never do that again. Put them up. Frustrated, because you can't be good enough. This is what the Jews were. They were left with a dead religion. There was no way to be right. Now when the word got out that there was hope, the crowds became massive. Now we see in this passage of scripture in verse 8 on, the crowd started in Galilee. They were pressing Jesus. But then from a hundred miles away, people walked and came into the presence of Jesus. It'd be like this morning if Jesus was here in our sanctuary, by the way he is by his spirit, that the word got out that there was hope. And what happened is we'd have people from Tampa, from Fort Pierce and Fort Myers on the other side, down over there from Jacksonville, up in Gainesville. And by the way, then they get in their car, they walked 100 miles to see Jesus. Why? You see, when there is hope, let me give you a statement so you'll understand it. Whenever people can find hope, you will find crowds. Why? Because it's no different today than it was in those days. You see, we live in a world filled with problems. You have them. I have them. The reason we have problems this morning because Satan is still the ruler of this world that we live in. Jesus only gives him so many guidelines that he can work within these parameters, but he's still the ruler. So there's all kinds of problems in all of our lives as there was in those days. Now, when this becomes apparent in my life, I'm looking for a solution to my problems. In those days, there was no solution. And our problems as we go through the book of Mark are no different than that in the book of Mark because we'll see that people had physical problems. So Jesus was healing. We have physical problems today. Jesus still heals. There was emotional problems. There was financial problems. And there were spiritual problems with demons. All of those problems had one solution. And his name was Jesus Christ. And when that word got out, people were excited, and then they came to have their needs met. You see, we're filled with problems. You have problems. I have problems this morning. And the key to that is finding the solution. And you'll see this morning that Jesus Christ is the solution to all of our problems. It's not man. It's not philosophy. It's definitely not psychology. It's a person. 
And it's Jesus Christ. So the word was out. It began spreading. And that's exactly what's happening here and every other church that teaches the word of God. The word gets out. And people say, there's hope. There's hope. There's, me, there's hope for my life. Yes, there is hope. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with this church. It has to do with the person of Jesus Christ. So what was happening in those days is exactly the same thing that's happening today. Now, during those crowds and masses of people, Jesus noticed two problems. Number one, increasing numbers of people equals increasing numbers of problems. Would you agree? If you have one child or if you have 12 children, is there any difference? Oh, yes, there's lots of difference. Some of you are a little quiet. 12, that shocked you alone, I guess. But 12 children brings a lot of great things, but brings lots more problems. How many would like to have another wife or another husband? No, God was wise, wasn't he? One's enough. Causes, I mean, we can't even keep them in line, and they can't keep us in line. So aren't you glad you're not a Mormon like in the old days with 12 wives or whatever? No way. We have enough problems. So Jesus knew with these increasing numbers of people, there were more problems. And he knew he was only one person. So he also knew his second problem was this, that soon he was going to go to the cross. He had to die for man's sin, which was the basic problem of all mankind. How would the problems of people be solved after he died? He had to find a way to transfer his life into different people. For on the day that Jesus died, people would be born. And those people would be born into a world and sooner or later have problems. Like all of us. So we're going to give you this morning God's solution to these two problems. If you're taking notes, here's three things. And let's look at them together. Number one, the first solution was to call additional disciples. And you know a disciple is a learner under discipline. Let's look at verse 13. And Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. So Jesus decided to solve the problem he would go up into the mountain and pray. Actually, the book of Luke says to us that Jesus prayed all night. The reason he prayed all night is because these apostles, by the way, up to this point, there were five disciples. Jesus is going to select another seven and really give them more responsibility than just an average disciple. They were the ones that were going to be taking the message and carrying on his ministry. Now, this was a major decision in the life of Jesus. It was a, an important step in his life, so Luke says he prayed all night. I think it's a very good principle for you and I to think about. When you have a major decision in your life, you need to be praying. You need to be fasting. Maybe even for two or three days when there is a major decision. Because if you don't, you're going to be coming up with a solution that's based on your intellect and your will. And those don't go very well. Jesus went to his father and he said, God, I need your selection. If Jesus had to do that, we need to do that. We need to be serious about prayer. And this is what Jesus did. He spent the whole night getting aligned with God's will. 
You see, instead of me aligning myself with God's will, often I want to go out and start doing something and say, God, come and bless this. And that's wrong. Jesus didn't come to God and say, here's my list. What do you think, God? Jesus said, Father, what do you want me to do? And God gave him, I believe, the men that he should pick and that he should choose. If you're in a decision mode today, in a major decision, you know, it's not like what to have for lunch today, so you're going to fast for lunch. I mean, not talking about that. But marriage, buying a home, a car, children, adoption, all these things, major decisions, change of job, you need to be seeking God's will. He has an answer for you, a solution for you. Notice in verse 13, we see that Jesus called these men the call of God. I think this is very important because we mistake the call of God. Now, we don't know how this really happened, but it, it could have been like this. Jesus came down from the mountain, and there was a mass of people that were following. And Jesus just came up, and he literally just touched the 12 people, the 12 men that he wanted. And this was the call, and he was said, you're going to follow me forever. It was a call from God. You see, when we're born, we're born into sin. We think to be right with God that we can determine at any time that I'm going to come to a church or go to a Billy Graham crusade or go somewhere, hear it on the radio, put 700 Club on and just go, ah, this is the night I'm going to get saved. Good. It's kind of my birthday. And I had somebody not too long ago when the church first got started, it was like on their anniversary, they said, well, I'm, I'm going to wait until I accept Jesus Christ till, till it's my anniversary day. Because I think that's a neat day to accept Jesus Christ. That's not the way it works. You see, that's, that's the old thing of like, you know, having catechism or doing all those things, going through forms. You cannot become a Christian until Jesus Christ calls you. Now, you say, well, where do you get that? Well, let me read it to you. You can write this down. You have to turn there. John 15, 16 says this to his disciples. You did not choose me, Jesus said, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So when you're in a church service, and by the way, God calls every person to salvation. It's his will that nobody perish. So sometime in your life, you will hear, many times in your life, you will hear the call of God. And what that means is, even in a service like this, you're separated from God. The only way you get right in God is to have Jesus Christ change your life. And that's why I went to the cross. If this morning as you're here and you hear the call of God, and I don't mean that like, ooh, I mean, you go, hey, I didn't know I had to respond to a call. Yes, you do. So you're not born into the family of God. And if you hear that, then you're to respond. So Jesus on that day went down and he touched the disciples. He called them. I think it's very important for you to realize that when God calls you, that's when you should accept the call. Because if you keep putting it off, now he is gracious, isn't he? How many waited almost too long before you accepted the call? You remember, don't you? Time in and time out, you rejected it. But if you hear it, even today, that's why the scripture says today is the day of salvation. If you hear it, you're to respond to it. But notice, when Jesus went down, did the disciples have an option not to follow? Sure they did. God will never overrule your will. I remember back in the old days, way back in some of the early revival meetings, it was like before my dad's time even really, here's what happened. An evangelist would come to town, you know, we'd have great meetings, and the pastor would come out of the pulpit. And he'd come down during the altar call, and he'd do this. Uh, let's see, who needs to get saved tonight? 
get nervous? Anybody get nervous? And he just picks somebody and pull them up front. How many know that doesn't work? Because that person will come up front, but they ain't ever coming back to church again. Because who called them? Pastor called them. I can't call anybody. Only Jesus can call you. I'm not your savior. And people wonder why all these people are coming and accepting the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, I have no control over any of that other than preaching the word of God. That's up to God. And I believe we go in cycles. Sometimes just masses of people and sometimes nothing happens for a while because we kind of got to get them discipled and steadied in. But right now we're in one of those modes where many people are coming. Why? I don't know. It's God. God calls. I don't call. Now, if I called, I'd ask everybody to stand that isn't a Christian. Let's come forward. Let's get them all saved at once. Doesn't work that way. It's the same when you bring a friend to church, you hope after they hear the sermon, you know, somebody said to me long ago, I almost got saved after listening to you, and I've been a Christian all my life. <laughs> the Lord was good. But you might have your friend right next to you, and you know, this is the day I know they're going forth. And they walk out and go, hey, cool music. Because it wasn't their time. So I can't call. But God calls, and if He calls you, you want to respond. You want to respond, but He will not overlook your free will. So, God called twelve. Let's look at verse 14. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with Him, and that He might send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. Now, why twelve? We don't know, but we know in the Old Testament there's twelve tribes of Israel. So it may be that Jesus was tying the Old Testament and the New Testament together. Twelve tribes of Israel, twelve apostles. In verse 16 through 19, we won't read that this morning, there's the names of the twelve apostles and we'll study those individually at a different time as we go along. Now, why did he pick those twelve? What did he see in those twelve men that caused Jesus to say you and you and you and you and you. Now, I'll show my age today, but that's all right, because we're all getting older. About 20 years ago, I could say this to you. In your mind, picture 20 years ago what an IBM salesman looked like. How many could picture that? You knew it, didn't you? So you showed your age. An IBM salesman in those days was a clone. They usually were 6'3", they had a pinstripe suit, wingtippy shoes, clean face, short haircut, starched white shirt, black tie. And when they walked in, yes, I'm from IBM, you, you just knew who they were. That's what they were. It was a corporate image. It was cloning. Now there's a new movie out called Gattaca. And in this movie, it talks about taking our genes and manipulating our genes so much so that we can have a perfect race. We can all be alone and look exactly alike. Now, you may think this is strange, but we're probably 10 to 15 years away from where that is. Very good possibility that you can take the egg, the sperm, arrange the genes, and have everybody look alike. Wouldn't that be boring? I mean, look at the person next to you. They're funny looking, aren't they? I mean. Who are you going to pick as the model? We're all weird. And you look at me every week, you know I'm funny looking. So, I mean, this would be ridiculous. So this is not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't clone people. They, they weren't all clones of him. Actually, they were more like clowns. The clones. 
They were average garden variety men. The only thing that was common about them was this. They really didn't have any religious education. They were just from all different works of life, unique backgrounds. Actually, as we study, I'm glad they weren't all alike because we'd have only one gospel this morning. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are four views of Jesus' life by four different apostles. If they were all clones, we'd have one. I'm glad for four. So even this morning we said, Mark has a certain perspective, and Luke said he prayed all night. Different perspective. And it brings variety to us. Now, how could Jesus choose these 12? When we look at them, we kind of laugh, really. And as you and I are going to follow them through, if you look at their character, we find that basically they're impulsive, they're temperamental, they're dull in their learning, and they really have very little faith. It gives me a lot of hope for me, doesn't it for you? As you look at the apostles and Jesus chose those 12, I'm excited. Every time I see them fail, I go, yes, there's hope for me. Because these are the guys. Now, what did he see in them? Listen, here's what he saw. It wasn't anything in their face, their makeup, their business. It was the raw potential that was inside them. You see, Jesus saw what these men could become. By the way, that's the very same thing that Jesus sees in your life this morning. It's not your education. It's not your background. It's not what church you were raised in, who your parents are, what kind of jeans you have, whether you wear glasses or not. By the way, in that movie, glasses were bad. You can't wear glasses. So all you have glasses, you're an imperfect person this morning or whatever. We know that anyway, don't you? It isn't any of that. It's the potential God has placed in you. Many of us don't see that. And that's good. Because see, when God uses people that we look outside and say, how could God use them? Then we go, because it's God. There's only one common denominator to any of us that's any good, and it's God. And this morning, that's why we bring glory to God, never to a man, no matter who they are or what they've done. Now, even though these 12 men were different, they had one common purpose. They had one common purpose. And let's see that in verse 14. Verse 14 says, that they might be with him. With him. That brings us to point number two. Train disciples. First is you have to call the disciples. Second is to train the disciples to be with him or to learn WWJD. What would Jesus do? Now, with him tells you about what Jesus was going to do. This was a relationship. It wasn't a religion. Now, let's take you and you have an appointment for surgery. You go in, you're laying there getting ready to get your lovely Versed that is a great truth serum. As you're there, the doctor comes by and he says, I've just finished eight years of great education at the greatest, the most impressive medical school in all of the United States and I'm doing your surgery. Man, you're excited. This is good. Then the nurse comes by and says this, there's only one problem. He's never had a scalpel in his hand before. This life is full of decisions, some big, some small. While you probably don't need to pray about what t-shirts you're going to wear today, the vast majority of your decisions should be considered in prayer. 
Understand that God knows the beginning from the end. He knows what's best for you. Seek His Word. Find out what Jesus might have done. Take the time to sit back and listen for His voice. Pastor Mark covered quite a bit in today's message. Perhaps you'd like to review. You can listen to today's message again by logging on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Just select today's date from the media player. Or you can also call us toll-free. The number to call is 866-779-3441 to place an order for a CD. Again, that number to call is 866-779-3441. Another way to get in contact with us is by email. The address is info at LessonsForLivingRadio.com. That's info at LessonsForLivingRadio.com. By far, the best way to stay current with everything that you hear on Lessons for Living is to subscribe to the podcast. Subscribing is easy. Just follow the link at LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Now be sure and tune in next time as Pastor Mark will issue a warning. He'll share with us that sometimes when we come to the Lord or when we dive deeper into our walk with Him, our family and friends won't follow. In fact, sometimes it will create a little tension. But don't allow that to discourage you from pressing on. Don't allow that to deter you from sharing the Word. Don't be pushy, but don't be shy about sharing the truth either. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. From all of the production team here at Lessons for Living, we want to say thank you for tuning in. May God bless you. And together, let's do life right.